Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 23 through 25. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our lecture of Genesis chapter 23, 24, and 25. Now, today we bury both the patriarch Abraham and his lovely wife, the matriarch Sarah. And as we've been studying, we've seen that Abraham receives two promises, both five times each. And those promises, the first one is he's promised land and he's promised land five times that Cana, the holy land will be his one day. It comes time and time again to your descendants. I will give this land. I will give it to you forever. I will give you this land to possess to your descendants. I give this land. Your sojournings will be over. It will be an everlasting possession. The other thing he's promised five times the second promise five times so far he's been promised that he will have numerous children five times i'll make you a great nation your descendants are going to be so numerous like the dust of the earth look towards heaven count the stars that's how many kids you're going to have you'll be the multitude the father of a multitude of nations five times he's given that promise of multiple multiple descendants so five and five so what is the reality of the situation that's what he's been promised but the reality is sarah has given him one son isaac laughter and he is the son of promise and they live in tents so they do not own any land yet they're sojourners they own no part of Cana, nothing. They go from place to place in tents. And now in chapter 23, we see that Sarah has died. Sarah passes away. So he's not having any more children with Sarah. She's dead. Now, if you were Abraham, would you be having some doubts at this point? You've been told and promised all these things. You have one son, your wife dies. So why do we call Abraham the father of our faith in the three monastic world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Muslim, Islamic faith, all call Abraham the father of our faith because Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He truly believed what God said would happen. So in Genesis 23, we see Sarah lived 127 years. Those were the years of Sarah's life. It's the only woman in the scriptures where we get her age at death, 127 years. She died at Kiriatharbah, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. That's part of the Holy Land. Hebron, Israel. You can go there to this day. It's in the West Bank. It's 18.3 miles south of Jerusalem. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The love of his life. Now he must bury his beloved Sarah. She is his sister and his bride. Remember that? They have the same father, Terah, but different mothers. She's a half-sister, his sister and his bride, which reminded me of the Song of Solomon, where several times the writer says, my sister and my bride, you have ravished my heart. How sweet is your love, my sister and my bride. And I could see a connection between Sarah and Mary. 
possibly. Mary is a woman that wears many, many hats. She's a sister. She's a bride. She's a mother. Mary will be the sister of Israel and part of that old covenant bride of God. But then when God dies on the cross in the second person, as Paul tells us in Romans 7, this bride Israel is invited into a new covenant of the blood of the second person of the Trinity. And Mary becomes a bride of that new covenant as well. So I like to think of Mary as the hinge pin. She's in between the two covenants, the old covenant and the new. She's that hinge pin in the middle that holds both covenants together. It's really a beautiful way to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a hinge pin for both covenants. I superimposed her in there. So you could see she hinges the two covenants together. She's a sister whose hum her humanity has, Jesus has joined. She has DNA that is contributed to Jesus that makes her a daughter of God, his father, but also a brother to Jesus, like we are siblings of Jesus. Jesus is also her new bridegroom, and the church will bear numerous children to them in a virginal state. It's a spiritual marriage, and it's virginal. She's a holy, spotless bride, the mother of all the spiritually living the new Eve, truly, of all the baptized. And they together, they bathe their children and they feed their children. That's what parents do. They, they feed us the Eucharist. And they are both children of Abraham and Sarah. And Jesus is also a new Isaac, the Lamb of God, provided centuries later. Mary is mother, sister of Jesus, bride of all the new covenant, daughter of God, ever virgin mother of all the spiritually living, my sister, my bride. It can truly be said of her as well. And they have two hearts that are joined together, two immaculate hearts. Hers, they're both pierced. Hers is pierced with the sword of Simeon, the prophecy in Luke 2. His is pierced with the lance of the soldier. And they both flame with the love of God. And they are united in love for us in this new virginal spiritual marriage. My sister, my bride. I also then was praying with this and I thought of Joseph and Mary and how they also had this virginal marriage. He knew she was the ark of the new covenant not to be touched what happens when you touch the ark? You die. He will not violate Mary. He keeps that a pure virginal marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. My sister, my sister of Israel, my bride. Same thing. Abraham is grieving the death of his sister and his bride, Sarah. Abraham rose up before his dead and he said to the Hittites, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me property among you for a burial place that I might bury the dead out of my sight. When someone dies, in the Middle East, you need to bury them quite quickly because the temperatures are very hot and the body decomposes quickly. He needs a place to bury Sarah. The Hittites answer Abraham, hear us, my Lord, you're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of all our sepulchers. None of us will withhold from you his sepulcher or hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed down to the Hittites, the people of the land that he was on. But he said, if you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave at Machpelah, which he owns. It's at the end of his field. Abraham knows of this cave. Abraham wants this cave, and he wants this cave specifically. Hmm. He only wants the certain spot of the Holy Land that's 18.3 miles south of Jerusalem. How did he know about this cave on Ephraim's land, the cave at Machpelah? 
And he's willing to pay the full price for this piece of land. The full price. They said, you can take it. No, 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 no. I don't want to pay the full price. Who in the Middle East wants to pay the full price, right? Because we just bought a rug a couple summers ago in Ephesus, Turkey. And I didn't even know we were going to a rug shop. They were taking us to Mary's house. And the van driver said, oh, by the way, we need to stop here first. We go in, they sit us down. He's, Madame, do you like this rug or this rug? I'm like, I don't know that this one. Okay. And, and the barter was on. And we had absolutely no intention of buying a rug that day. And this sits on my kitchen floor today. I took a picture of it. This is my rug. We bought the rug. And I didn't know you're supposed to barter, but you're absolutely supposed to barter. He set a price and we just said, okay. And we just paid what they said. But when I researched it later, it said like, if something costs $800, first off you offer half. Okay. How about $400? And then he'll say, 600 and then you sigh heavily and walk away and then he comes back and say hey, hey 550 how about 550 and then you make a face and then he drops it to 500 i didn't know this we just said okay and we bought the rug for full price abraham is willing to buy this cave for full price that's crazy ephron is sitting among the hittites and this would have been a point of bargaining man abraham really wants this this land so ephron could even up the price. It's already astronomical. He's paying top dollar for this land. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the cave. I give you the cave in the present of all here. Bury your dead. But this guy wants a higher price. He knows Abraham really wants this. Abraham bows down. He says to Ephron in the hearing of the people, but if you will hear me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me so I may bury my dead and Ephraim relents, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of this land is worth 400 shekels. What is this between you and me? Bury your dead. And he relents. So Abraham pays top dollar, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. That's important too, because later he could say the weights were off. You didn't pay me enough silver for this land. I'm taking it back. So that was very important. And it still is in the Middle East that, that you buy something according to the weights current among merchants. He really wants this field of Ephron at Machpelah. It's east of Mamre. Remember Mamre, the Oaks of Mamre, what happened there? The three persons in one Lord appeared to, to, to Abram there. Uh, it's east of Mamre, the field with the cave, all the trees that were in the field, the whole area Abram took as a possession in front of everyone, all those witnesses at the gate of the city. That's where the legal matters were handled. After this, Abram buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave at the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Now, this is the very first piece of the land. God has promised him five times he's going and acquire the land of Canaan, the Holy Land. This is the very first piece of land he purchases. This is his. All the people have witnessed it. He wants this certain spot. Why? And how did he know about this cave? And why was he willing to pay the full price? Well, in the Zohar, just as we Catholics have oral tradition and we have mystical Catholic saints, the Jews had oral Jewish tradition, mystical things. The Zohar is more mystical, but it says this in the Zohar, that Abraham, remember when he was going to serve the three persons in one Lord, he was going to serve, he served them himself and he was going to cook them a calf himself. He goes to chase this calf and the calf He's in a hurry. The Trinity needs to be fed and he runs, the calf runs in this cave and Abraham's going to trap him in there and capture him so he can cook him. And he goes in this cave at Machpelah and 
all of a sudden he smells the most incredible fragrant smell and, and he sees light and it's the entrance to the Garden of Eden inside this cave. The scent of paradise and the graves of Adam and Eve are there. He sees the bones of Adam and Eve and he knows it's them. And it's still to this day called the gateway to the Garden of Eden. Adam, the first man, found this spot. It was a unique location. He saw a ray of light emanating from this cave, Adam himself, and he therefore dug a cave as a burial place for he and his wife Eve, and they were buried there, and then the light was hidden. Years later, when Abraham uncovered the secret once again, he mistakenly stumbled upon the cave, and he decided he wanted to be buried there too at the gateway to the Garden of Eden. So that field is in that lot, and Abraham wants it. He wants to be buried there, and he wants Sarah to be buried there. Sarah dies, Abraham weeps and mourns for her, and then he buys this only piece of land that he will own in his entire life. It's part of the Holy Land, it's part of Canaan, and it's very important because to this day it is the place where the patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel are buried. It's the cave at Hebron, it is the second holiest place in all of Israel, second only to the Temple Mount. And Abraham was able to buy this parcel of land for top dollar. Now, another thing I found interesting, remember last week, we talked about the sacrifice, the binding of Isaac. And just when Abraham's ready to make him a burnt holocaust and lower the knife, the angel says, stop. Remember that? Okay, well, what was Sarah doing all that time? And the Jews have oral writings that, that now say, you know, they, they've thought about all these things. These are their scripture. They read the five books of the Torah and discuss the rabbis. Where was Sarah? She wakes up, she sees Abraham's gone and Isaac's gone. And she says, where is my son? My son, her only son, the one she loves. And, and she can't find him. And she looks and looks first day, second day, third day, they're gone. It, it says that uh, Satan started taunting her as to what may have happened to Isaac. After Satan taunted Sarah about what allegedly happened to her son, she hysterically inquired of anyone as to his whereabouts, the husband and her son, going so far as the city of Hebron to try to find them. And then there is proof that this is so, for Isaac returned to his mother. And she said to him, where have you been, my son? And he said to her, my father took me and led me up to the mountains and down hills. Alas, she said, for the son of a hapless woman, had it not been for an angel, you would have now been slain. Yes, he said to her. And this knowledge of what just happened put her over the edge. She uttered six cries corresponding to the six blasts of the shofar. I mean, these were loud wailing cries. It has been said that she had scarcely finished speaking when she died. Hence it is written that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. She's in Hebron crying hysterically for her son and Abram's going to buy that field at Hebron Machpelah, the cave of Adam and Eve. The telling of Sarah's death directly follows the binding of Isaac because when Sarah is told about the binding of Isaac where her son had been prepared for slaughter and then nearly not slaughtered, her soul flew from her and she died. So Abraham needs a place to bury Sarah. Hebron is still there today. It's in the West Bank. And if you've been to the Holy Land, I'll bet you it did not go to Hebron. Anybody here ever go to Hebron? This is not where the tour buses take you. It's a very contentious place. It's full of tension. It's in 
the tensest city in the West Bank. 850 Jewish settlers are there in guarded enclaves amid 270,000 Palestinian residents. It is very much divided uh, Israeli and Palestinian authority rule, and it is the burial cave of Abraham and Sarah. This is what it looks like, and it's an excellent architectural example because it's Herodian in construction. King Herod ordered this to be built, and so the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, but this was not destroyed 18 miles south. And so this kind of shows us what the temple would have looked like. It has stones that are 24 feet long. It's called dry mortaring. It's very uh, well-built uh, fortress. A large imposing stone building stands there today, built by King Herod in the first century. So it's very architecturally significant as well. Six foot thick stone walls. It's in perfect condition. At the tomb, people still pray there, and it's, they almost treat it as the wailing wall of the temple mount, but uh, you, you'll see Jews and Muslims praying here. At one time, Byzantine Christians took it over and made it into a basilica. Then Muslim conquerors converted it back into a mosque. Then crusaders came and took control of it. Then Muslims got it back again. Then Jews lived in the city until they were driven out in 1929 in the riots. And then they returned after Israel regained control in 1967 during the Six-Day War. Today, the shrine is divided two sides, one side for the Muslim, one side for the Jews. Everyone has to pass through Israeli military security checkpoint, separate entrances, one for the Jews, one for the Muslims. The Muslims is a mosque, the Jews is a synagogue, and uh, they are managed separately with separate entrances, and everyone goes through heavy security. This is the Muslim side. They actually have the tomb of Abraham. Three religions, three world religions claim Abraham as father, Christianity, Judaism, and, is, and the Muslims. Ten days, the Muslims get it all to themselves, the whole building, 10 of their high holy feast days. 10 days, the Jews get it for 10 of their highest holy feast days where the, the Muslims have to leave. So 10 and 10. One of the days, usually in November, is the Feast of Sarah. It's a Sabbath where Sarah is honored. This is in 215, the Jews camping out because they want to be there. They want to be there at Sarah's tomb for her feast day and they will put their life at risk to do it. It's always tense there. This is the room dedicated to Sarah, and young brides like to come here to pray. Sarah is a huge hero to, to the first matriarch of Israel. This is Abraham's tomb inside, and um, we hear tonight in Genesis 25 that Abraham also died. He was 175 years old. He breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Amazingly, the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, got together to bury their father, Abraham. That was God's grace and mercy. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field which Abraham had purchased from the Hittites, where Abraham had buried his wife, Sarah. This is what Abram's uh, grave cover looks like, but his bones are actually 40 feet straight under in a cave. Um, you can see the Islamic art above, depending on who took it over, they would paint different styles. You see some of the Moorish influence. The memorial team of Abraham comes with bulletproof glass barred windows so that his two sons, fueling descendants, Jews and Muslims, can respect his gravesite. A mosque 
is right above his bones and they can lower a candelabra down this narrow opening all the way down 40 feet to his bones, uh, 40 feet below, straight below. This is Isaac's uh, grave. And this is Rebecca is also buried there, the bride, the wife that, that we will meet tonight. And then a sad thing happened in 1994, Baruch Kapol Goldstein was an American Israeli physician, a religious extremist, a mass murderer who penetrated into the cave at Machpelah, and that's called the massacre in Hebron. He killed 29 and wounded 125 Palestinian Muslim worshipers, and he was beaten to death by survivors of the massacre. A very, very, very sad day. His tomb is outside of Hebron, and that is also a very contentious site because they're always battling, you know, if people go visit the tomb or don't go visit the tomb. It's, it's been 25 years now. It's very tense on that anniversary of that massacre. This was at the 20 year anniversary. Now it's been 25 years, but uh, there's a lot of demonstrations at that time. Abraham was old, well advanced in his years. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his house, who had charge of all that he had. Who would that servant most likely be? His right-hand man who we met back in Genesis 15. Do you remember? Good. Eleazar. That's right. Put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So we, when we swear an oath today, we might put our hand on a Bible. Back then, they would put the hand under the thigh, especially for an oath of posterity for descendants to come. Put your hand under my thigh and swear to God, the God of heaven and earth. And the servant said, perhaps the woman will be willing to come back with me to this land. See, Abraham does not want Isaac to leave the land. He, this is the son of promise. He has to protect this kid. What if he gets killed? He remembers Adam or he remembers Cain and Abel. He wants him to stay here, go get the wife and bring her back. Do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your descendants, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, Eleazar, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath under my thigh. You will be free from that, but you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master. He swore to him concerning this matter. So the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed and taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, Abraham. He arose, he went to Mesopotamia. Remember, that's where Abraham's from, Ur of the Chaldeans. He goes to the city of Nahor. You'll remember that Nahor is the brother of Abraham by the same father, Terah. He goes to the city of Nahor and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when the women go to draw water. Very strategic. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, grant me success today. I pray thee and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He loves his master Abraham. He wants to do the task he's been assigned to do. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the maiden to whom I shall say, pray, let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let 
her be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. By this I shall know that thou hast shown steadfast love to my master. He's praying to the God of Abraham. And before he was done speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, of the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abram's brother, that makes Rebekah a great niece and a second cousin to Isaac, right? Okay, so Rebekah comes out with her water jar upon her shoulder. The maiden was very fair to look upon, a virgin who had known no man. And she went down to the spring and she filled up her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and he said, pray, give me a little water to drink from your jar. This is a stranger. This is a sojourner. She's a woman. He's a man. They're at the well. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand. This is tremendous hospitality kindness, generosity. And she gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, is the prayer going to come true? Is the prayer going to come true? Is the prayer going to come true? She said, and I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have been done drinking. Do you know what that means? How much water does a camel drink? Do you know? And he has 10 of them. A typical camel can drink 200 liters or 53 gallons of water in three minutes. And he's got 10 camels. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw. And she drew for all the camels. This is a very, very industrious, hardworking woman, right? To draw water for a visitor would be one thing. That's a favor. But it would be an act of palatable generosity because to draw for all the camels because the well at Haran, and they've researched this well, it is not easily accessible like a fountain or pool or a rope with a bucket. It's not that type of well. It's an underground spring and it has to be approached by an inclined shaft. So to get water, the woman had to walk down the slope, fill her jug, walk back up again, time and time and time again. The water weighed more than eight pounds a gallon. The water jug would hold about three gallons at that time, and the, that'd be about 25 pounds of dead weight up and down the slope every trip for the water, not to mention the weight of the two-handled ceramic jug. So this gal is a worker, right? <laughs> Let's talk a minute about wells and women in the Bible. And in many cultures, it's women's work to gather water, right? In many, many cultures, this is the job of the women and children to go get the water. They need it for cooking. They need it for cleaning. They need it for hygiene. They need it to live, to stay alive. And oftentimes, this is women's work, and they often bring their children to help. Uh, in India, for instance, this is called a step well. These are found in India in the water, rainwater. Everything's collected in the bottom. But look at these amazing steps. They would also serve us as temples, but they also serviced as gathering places, especially for the women. They'd come to get the water, they'd talk, they'd catch up, they'd share their life stories because otherwise they're sewing. They're, they're doing things that it's not like us. You know, they don't have like a sewing machine. They have to get the wool and spin the yarn and weave the, the all that. So the watering wells were places to congregate for fellowship, for friendship, for womanhood. That was part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 23 through 25, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.